Part three, chapter four of Faces in the Fire and Other Fancies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Campbell Shelp. Faces in the Fire and Other Fancies by Frank W. Borham. Part three, chapter four, Spoil. We were sitting round the fire last night when a boy came rushing up the street shouting, The latest war news! I went to the door, bought a paper, and settled down again to read it. All at once the word siege caught my eye, and, after glancing over the cablegram to which it referred, I lay back in the chair and allowed my mind to roam among the romantic recollections that the great world had suggested. I thought of the siege of Lucknow in the east, of the siege of Mexico in the west, and of the siege of Londonderry midway between. Who that has once read the thrilling narratives of these famous exploits can resist the temptation occasionally to set his fancy free to revisit the scenes of those tremendous struggles? My reverie was rudely interrupted. "'Run along, Roxy, dear, it's past bedtime,' a maternal voice from the opposite chair suddenly expostulated. "'But, mother,' I must do my scripture lesson, and I've nearly finished. What have you to do, Roxy? I inquired, appointing myself arbitrator on the instant. I have to learn these eight verses of the hundred and nineteenth psalm. Well, read them aloud to us, and then run off to bed, I commanded. She read, I am afraid I had no ears for any of the later verses, for among the very first words that she read were these. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I had read those familiar words hundreds of times, but it was like passing a closed door. But tonight my memories of the great historic sieges supplied me with the key. As one that findeth great spoil, findeth great spoil, great spoil. That one word spoil supplied me with the magic key. I applied it, the door flew open, and I saw that in the text which I had never seen before. The lesson came to an end, the girlish tones subsided, the reader kissed me good night and scampered off to bed, her mother leaving the room in her company, and I was left once more to my own imaginings. But my fancy flew in quite a fresh direction. The text had done for my imprisoned mind what Noah did for the imprisoned dove. It had opened a window of escape, and I was at liberty to go where I had never been before. Spoil! At the sound of that magic word, the doors of truth swung open as the great door of the robber's dungeon and the forty thieves yielded to the sound of open sesame. A landscape may be mirrored in a dewdrop, and here, in this arresting phase, I suddenly discovered all the picturesque color and stirring movement of a great siege. I saw the bastions and the drawbridges, the fortified walls and the frowning ramparts, the lofty parapets and the stately towers. I watched the fierce assault of the besiegers and the tumultuous sally of the garrison. I heard the clash and din of strife. I marked the long, grim struggle against impending starvation. And then, at last, I saw the white flag flown. The proud city has fallen. The garrison has surrendered. 
the gates are thrown open to the investing forces and the conqueror rides triumphantly in to seize his splendid prize his followers fall eagerly upon their booty and grasp with greedy hands at every glint of treasure that presents itself to their rapacious eyes spoil 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 i rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil one now the most notable point about this metaphor is that the city only yields up its treasure after long resistance the besieger does not find the city waiting with open gates to welcome him it slams those gates in his face bars bolts and barricades them and settles down to keep him at bay as long as possible the stubbornness of its brave resistance lends an added sweetness to the final triumph of its conqueror but whilst it lasts that resistance is very baffling and vexatious all the best things in life follow the same strange law see how the soil resists the farmer it stiffens itself against his approach so that only in the sweat of his brow can he plough and harrow it it garrisons itself with swarms of insect pests so that his attempts to subjugate it shall be rendered as ineffective and unfruitful as possible it extends eager hospitality to every noxious seed that falls upon its surface it encourages all the farmer's enemies and fights against all his allies labor makes the harvest sweeter it is true but whilst it is in progress it is none the less exhausting it is only by breaking down the obstinate resistance of the unwilling soil that the farmer achieves the golden triumph of harvest time the miner passes through the same trying experience the earth has nothing to gain by holding her gold and her diamonds her copper and her coal in such a tight clutch yet she makes the work of the miner a desperate and dangerous business he takes his life in his hand as he descends the shaft the peril and the toil add a greater value to the booty i confess but the work of the dark mine is none the less trying on that account he who would grasp the treasures that lie buried in the bowels of the earth must first break down the most determined and dogged resistance and the treasures of the mind also follows this curious law there is no royal road to learning knowledge resists the intruder it presents an exterior that is altogether revolting and only the brave persist in the attack the textbooks of the schools are rarely set to music they do not tingle with romance they look as dry as dust and they are often even more arid than they look i remember that in my college days the student who sat next to me on the old familiar benches suddenly died he was brilliant i was not and when i heard that he had gone the first thought that occurred to me was a peculiar one had all his knowledge perished with him i asked myself i thought of the problems that he had mastered but with which i was still grappling could he not have bequeathed to me the fruits of his patient and hard-won victories no it could not be the city must be patiently besieged and gallantly stormed before it will surrender the coveted diploma may be all the sweeter afterwards as a result of so long and persistent a struggle but that fact does not at the time relieve the tedium or lessen the intolerable drudgery knowledge seems so good and so desirable a thing yet it resists the aspiring student with such pitiless and unsympathetic pertinacity even love behaves in the same way the lady keeps her lover at arm's length she would rather die than not be his 
but she must guard her modesty at all hazards. She must not make herself too cheap. She assumes a frigidity that is in hopeless conflict with the warmth of her real sentiments. Her apparent indifference and repeated rebuffs nearly drive her poor wooer to distraction. Her kisses are all the sweeter later on when she is delightfully and avowedly his own, but whilst the siege of her affections lasts, the torment almost wrecks his reason. It is really no hypocrisy on her part. It is the recognition of a true instinct. All the best things resist us, and their resistance has to be overcome. And the psalmist declares that even the divine word treated him in the self-same way. It did not entice, allure, fascinate. That is usually the policy of evil things. No, it repelled, resisted, dared him. And it was not until he had conquered that hostility that he entered into his triumph. It was in the carcass of the fierce lion he had previously destroyed that Samson found the honey that was so sweet to his taste. We generally find our spoil in the cities that slammed their great gates in our faces. 2. But the city capitulates for all that. It may hold out stubbornly and for long, but it always yields at the last. It was so ordained. The soil was meant to resist the farmer, but it was also meant to yield to the farmer at length, and to furnish him with his proud and delightful prize. The minerals are hidden so cleverly, and buried so deeply, not that they may successfully elude the vigilance and skill of the heroic miner, but in order that he may justly prize the precious metals when they fall at last into his hands. The student's tedious struggle after knowledge is made so painful a process, not to deter or defeat him, but so that, side by side with the acquisition of learning, he may develop those faculties of brain and intellect which can alone qualify him to wield with wisdom the erudition that he is now so laboriously amassing. The lady treats her poor lover with such seeming disdain, not by any means to dishearten him, but that she may make quite sure that his ardor is no mere passing whim, but a deep and enduring attachment. In each case capitulation is agreed upon if only the besieger is sufficiently gallant and persistent. The best things, and even the holiest things, hold us off that they may draw us on, to use Tennyson's expressive phase. To cite a single example, what a wonder-story is that of the Syrophoenician woman! The master conceals himself from her, treats her anguish with apparent indifference, preserves a frigid silence in face of her passionate entreaty, and offers exasperating rebuffs in reply to her desperate arguments. But did he design to destroy her faith? Let us see. Like a gallant besieger, she sat down before the city with indomitable courage and patience. Beaten back at one gate, she instantly stormed another. Resisted at one redoubt she mustered all her forces in the effort to reduce a second and at last jesus answered and said unto her o woman great is thy faith be it unto thee even as thou wilt the capitulation was a predetermined policy but the courage and pertinacity of the besieger must be tested to the utmost before the gates can be finally thrown open three and then the victors fly upon the spoil the repelling word yields, and is found to contain wealth beyond the dreams of avarice. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Spoil! 
we have all felt the thrill of those tremendous pages in which Gibbon describes the sack of Rome by the all-victorious Goths. We seem to have witnessed with our own eyes the glittering wealth of the queenly city poured at the feet of the rapacious conqueror. Or, in Prescott's stately stories, we have watched the fabulous hordes of Montezuma and the heaped-up gold of Atahualpa piled at the feet of Cortes and Pizarro. Or if, forsaking the shining spoils of the Goths in Europe and the gleaming argosies which the Spaniards brought from the West, we turn to a later date in an eastern clime, we instinctively recall the glowing periods of Maculay in his story of the conquests of Clive. After his amazing victory at Plassey, the treasury of Bengal was thrown open to him. There were piled up, after the usage of Indian princes, immense masses of coin. Clive walked between heaps of gold and silver, crowned with rubies and diamonds, and was at liberty to help himself. He accepted between two and three hundred thousand pounds. He was afterwards accused of greed. He replied by describing the countless wealth by which he was that day surrounded. Vaults piled with gold and with jewels were at his mercy. To this day, he exclaimed, I stand astonished at my own moderation. Here, then, is the magic key that opens to us the secret in the psalmist's mind. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. The besiegers pour into the city. Every house is ransacked. In the most unlikely places the citizens have concealed their treasures, and in the most unlikely places, therefore, the invaders come upon their spoils. Out from queer old drawers and cupboards, out of strange old cracks and crannies, the precious hoard is torn. As the besiegers rush from house to house, you hear the shout and the laughter with which another and yet another find is greeted. So was it with his conquest of the word, the psalmist tell us. So was it with his conquest of the word, the psalmist tells us. At first it resisted and repelled him. But afterwards its gates were opened to his challenge. He entered the city and began his search for spoil. And, lo, from out of every promise and precept, out of every innocent-looking clause or insignificant phrase, the treasures of truth came pouring, until he found himself possessed at length of a wealth compared with which the pomp of princes is the badge of beggary. End of Part 3, Chapter 4 Recording by Campbell Shelp